Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Business Leadership Today podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tenney. As an active CEO, my goal is to build and sustain world-class organizations that make a positive impact on the lives of employees and on the global community. Despite having, despite spending nearly a decade doing leadership consulting, I know I still have a lot to learn. And I have a lot of questions regarding how we can continuously get better and achieve our goals. Through this podcast, we reach out to top thought leaders and get answers to those questions. And we give you the opportunity to listen to those answers too. This episode is part of a series we're doing on how to lead a high-performance culture in the new normal. My guest today is Mark Sanborn. Mark is president of Sanborn and Associates Inc., an idea, an idea studio dedicated to developing leaders in business and in life. Mark is also a world-class keynote speaker in my view. He's one of the best in the business, and he's the author of the best-selling book, The Fred Factor, which has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. His latest book is The Intention Imperative. Mark's list of over 2,600 clients includes many well-known companies like Costco, FedEx, Harley-Davidson, Hewlett-Packard, and the list goes on and on. I am very excited to hear Mark's thoughts today based on some recent research his organization has done on how to be a highly effective leader in this new normal that we find ourselves in. Mark, thank you for joining me today on Business Leadership Today. Well, thank you, Matt. It's great to be with you. And I really respect your work. I've enjoyed getting to know you in our profession. So thanks for giving me some time to share some ideas with your listeners. That's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to this. Now, Mark, in a moment, uh, we're going to discuss the seven most important things you think that a leader needs to be doing to sustain a high performance culture in this, this new normal, which as you like to say, is where nothing is normal, right? So but before we explore those, Let's take, um, let's take a little time here to talk about the research that your organization did over the last couple of years, which was originally just on how do we lead during COVID, and now it's really shed light on how can we lead more effectively as we come out of the, the pandemic? Well, in 2020, when COVID was a very obvious reality, I wanted to know how leaders were doing in these particularly challenging times. These were unprecedented, unprecedented times that scrambled everybody's eggs. It didn't matter what business you were in or where you lived uh, in the world. And I found out that not only did leaders do some things well and some things not so well, but that what they did or didn't do well during COVID was going to be a template for the future. And here's why. Hmm. I've come to believe that COVID didn't really change anything. Well, you say, well, wait a minute, Mark, a lot of things changed. A lot of things that were inevitable simply happened sooner. Mm. I believe that COVID was the great accelerator. Uh, let's just take one example that everybody's familiar with, remote work. Well, remote work's always been on our radar, but it didn't become a necessity until COVID hit. Mm. It wasn't something that was heretofore unconsidered uh, or uh, off the radar. It was simply something that we didn't have to deal with. Let's talk about health and safety. You know, Even if it's not a pandemic or a, an epidemic, the reality is people are increasingly interested in their well-being, their security at work, their security when they travel. Mm. So I know it's a little bit of a provocative premise, but I make it for that reason, that COVID changed a lot less, but it accelerated everything. So what we learned during COVID, we can use now post-COVID or wherever we're at in the process to lead more effectively. And I'll give you two of the big findings from the research. The first is what leaders did best, they didn't do all that well, and that was communication. <laughs> Mm. Now, they had to communicate and they had to do it with their phones or text or email, but they weren't doing it in person. And the highest rated 
ability of leaders during COVID across five generations, because we wanted to find out how generations differed, mm. was communication. But only 55% of the respondents said their leaders did it well. Wow. I'm going to talk a little bit later about what are the seven things that leaders need to do now to lead going forward. And over-communication is not one of them. <laughs> there was a lot of bad advice going around that says, you know, you've got to over-communicate. Oh, my goodness. No, you have to communicate more concisely and you've got to be clearer and you've got to make sure you don't overwhelm people with insignificant information because that's what leaders tended to do. Although people said that's what they did best. They still didn't do it really well, but they did it better than most things. What do they do least well? Answer, keep morale up. Now, mm. I personally understand and don't fault leaders for that. They had a great deal of stress. They were trying to keep the lights on. They were trying to stay in business. They were responsible for the well-being and the future of their employees. So it's pretty easy to understand, Matt, how a leader might become a little bit self-absorbed, not <laughs> out of self-interest, but just out of necessity. Right. However, there's a big message there, and that is that we've got to pay uh, as much attention to the morale of others as if we do our own morale. And in the final message uh, that I will share that is, to me, kind of at least it's become a pivotal idea in my work is I found two kind of contrasting ideas. And that is that everybody was more anxious as a result of COVID. And I don't think that anxiety has gone away. Every time somebody sneezes or there's a new variant, we start to retract back into our, our defensive uh, shells, our self-protective shells. So I wasn't surprised that people were more anxious and that they continue to be anxious. But what I was pleasantly surprised to find is that especially among younger generations, millennials and digitals, they thought the future after COVID would be better. Their workplace, their relationships, their satisfaction in what they were doing. And so I, I took those two ideas and I say that we as leaders now are challenged with addressing anxious optimism or optimistic <laughs> anxiety. I'm not sure which one comes first, but I think we, we can use as an agenda a very basic idea that if we can address the anxiety that exists not just with our employees, but with our customers and with our vendors, and we can reduce that anxiety while at the same time helping deliver on this, this optimism, this potential improved future, I think that's what leadership going forward is all about, reducing anxiety and helping people deliver on their legitimate optimism that we can take what we've learned to make things better. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds like just a huge opportunity to me. You know, if we're, if we're reducing anxiety with team members, with customers, I mean, they, this, it sounds like this could give a, a renewed purpose to what the organization is doing. I and mean, even, even if we do the least exciting thing in the world, you know, we, we, we make screws or something like that. You know, it's like even making screws can be an opportunity to enhance the well-being of, of team members and, and uh, and customers alike, and vendors, and every partner in the in our business relationships. Is that kind of what you're what you're pointing to here? Yeah. Well, I've I've always said there's only three things you can do to create value, and I started saying this 20 years before COVID, and that is increase joy, decrease pain, or both. Well, it's interesting that COVID kind of proved the point because anxiety is a pain point. So if we can decrease that, and maybe what you're referring to is if you're a woodworker. And the special screws you use in your 
your finely crafted uh, uh, creations, if those screws aren't available because of supply chain issues, you've got a high level of anxiety. Mm. So if you just happen to be that screw maker that figures out a way to beat or go around that supply chain challenge, you've just created great value for mm. that, that furniture maker. Uh, in terms of increasing joy, I, I think we very often forget what and G.K. Chesterton said it. He said, what's wrong with the world is we don't look at what's right. Mm. He didn't say that the world was perfect. He just said that when you only focus on what's wrong, you miss the good things. And I right. think that's another thing that leaders do is they say to people, you've got a lot of reason to be blessed and grateful and happy. It's not Pollyanna talk because you can recognize at the same time the challenges. But that's that idea of of helping people stay optimistic. And when you do both, reduce anxiety and deliver on optimism, then I think you've created the ultimate value for both your team and for your, your customers and clients. Love it. I love it. So Mark, let's let's jump in to what you view are the seven most important things that we as leaders need to be doing um, to, to continue to, to have a high performance culture that's sustainable in, in this new normal. And you know, I, I heard you mention this a couple of times when you're talking about the research and what you were looking at, but over and over again, you know, you're talking about things related to well-being, and obviously, um, you know, if we're not well ourselves, we're probably not going to be super effective at enhancing the well-being of others. So that's big idea number one: is take care of yourself. And I, I would imagine for some, uh, you know, leaders who really aspire to this kind of uh, servant leadership mentality, or you know, just constantly being of service to others. Um, they might take this and think, well, what, you know, what do you mean by this? And how do we, how do we kind of manage both? So can you tell me more about this, this idea here of the importance of taking care of yourself? Um, how do we do it? And, and uh, yeah, just put both of those, like your view on why it's so important and how do we execute better? You can't save a drowning victim if you're too tired to swim. Mm -hmm. And so taking care of yourself is something that became very obvious to me during COVID where leaders were well-intentioned in the idea that they were going to be sacrificial. And there were many times leaders did have to sacrifice. But the one thing you can't afford to sacrifice is your health and your ability to think clearly. And what happened during COVID is working hours disappeared. Now, I know a lot of leaders don't mm -hmm. work eight to five, but we went from eight to five to 24-7. Mm -hmm. And the phone could ring at 10 o'clock at night, or they could stay awake and send an email at 3 a.m. in the morning. And over time, leaders became so depleted of their energy and enthusiasm that they began to inadvertently deplete the people they led of those things. Mm. Maybe that's one of the reasons why leaders didn't do a good job of keeping morale up is their own morale was down. So the idea is, and my wife is a caregiver to her 86-year-old mother, and she, she's delighted that she can do that. But being married to a caregiver, I can tell you that the big danger isn't just to the person being cared for, but the caregiver themselves mm. make great sacrifice and they have to really work hard. I know that sounds ironic to say work hard at well-being, but it's true. It's very easy to become consumed by your challenges or by the person you're trying to help. And uh, before you know it, you're the person that needs more care than the, the person you're trying to care for. Taking care of yourself is, is not rocket science. It's about getting enough rest. It's about recreation and rejuvenation, you know, making time to, to rejuvenate yourself. You can't do that if you're obsessed 24-7 with your work. Mm. Uh, you have to look at what are the simple things like diet and exercise and how do they impact you. And I'm not a, a fanatic about it, but I learned a long time ago that it's hard to live a high-performance life in a low-performance body. 
And one of the things <laughs> yeah. that I did during COVID was even though my gym closed is I worked out six days out of seven, did some kind of exercise in my basement because I knew it'd be easy to become lethargic and to lose some of that mental acuity that comes from a, a lack of physical well-being and energy. So number one, take care of yourself first. And then here's the rest of it, as you know, Matt, so that you can take care of the people that you lead. Mm, I love it. All right. So uh, big idea number two is teach responsibility. And I think this is, I'm really excited to hear about this. So can, can you tell me more about what do you mean by teaching responsibility? Why is this important? And how, how do we do it better? If I was an anthropologist, a social anthropologist, I start to look at where we started to believe that uh, action was what people were paid to do. Maybe it was back 50 years ago when uh, the leader or manager gave instructions and the follower simply carried them out. There was actually a time where, believe it or not, managers would say, your job isn't to think, it's to do. Mm. Well, we don't live in that world anymore. And so as a result, however, some people still hide behind taking action. And you'll hear it when they say, well, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. Well, if the customer is still unhappy, if the colleague still doesn't have what they need, if the, the problem isn't solved, then taking action wasn't enough. Responsibility is an output, action is an input. And during COVID, you could not monitor the actions of the people who were working remotely. Right. But you did know that if they took responsibility, somehow magically the job got done, the problem got solved, the customer got taken care of, the coworker got what they needed. So we need to teach people that it's not enough to take action. Responsibility is identifying what needs to happen and making it happen. And the good news is if they've been trained adequately and there's conscientious people, and I hope those are two ways to describe the people you lead wherever you are and wherever you're listening, then you can trust that to happen. But they need to understand just going through the motions isn't enough. You don't get paid for taking action. You get paid for taking responsibility. And I believe we've got to teach that. We can't assume that people will naturally understand the differences between those two. Right. So what's, what's one simple thing we can do to help, help people shift away from the mentality of, well, you know, I was busy all day. I, I sure did a whole lot of things, you know, uh, but nothing, no results were, were produced. You know, how, how, what's, what's one simple thing we can do to kind of shift that thinking to, Hey, I'm not really concerned about how many hours you pretend you're at your desk, especially if you're working remotely. You know, I want you, I just want to know, like, what are you doing to, to help us move the needle and help us realize our mission and vision? Well, here's a great aside, and that is that uh, leaders don't confuse activity with accomplishment. It's not mm -hmm. about how busy you are. It's about what you get done. And I think one of the things that both a leader can use and teach their people is what I call the trifecta. Now, I'm not a big horse racing guy, but I know enough about it to know that if you place three bets in the order that the horses are going to finish and you hit all three, you win big, right? In other <laughs> words, you say number one to come in will be this horse, number two, this horse, number three, that horse. Uh, I like to prorate my day and begin every day by saying of all the stuff on my plate, what are the three things that need to get done today? Or what are three things that are subcomponents of what ultimately needs to get done? This is most important. This is second most important. This is third most important. Hmm. Because if you don't do that, what you end up doing is checking off a bunch of nonsensical crap on your to-do list and <laughs> it probably needed to get done, but it doesn't mean that you did anything significant. You were right. busy, but you weren't accomplishing. So teach people to think in terms of projects and results rather than activities and uh, inputs. I love it. 
All right. Now this um, it sounds like this is uh, kind of part and parcel here um, to teaching responsibility. But big idea number, th- big idea number three, is refocus. Now focus has always been important, and but I think your your focus here on the topic of focus is that we might need to we might need to refocus to to really be focused. Now, could you tell me more about that, please? Well, unless everything you did pre-COVID works just as well now, uh, you're going to have to refocus. Problem is, a lot of organizations never focus to begin with. You know, I, I say there's only three resources any leader has. Their time, their expertise, what they know, their skills, and the time and expertise of the people they lead. So if those are your ultimate three resources, then you've got to be able to focus your time and expertise on the time and expertise of your team. Uh, I, I was just speaking to a, a group of uh, parts and service managers for uh, an international uh, automotive brand. And I said, why don't you ask your technicians and service advisors a simple question? And, those are, and that question is, what are the five most important things I pay you to do every day? Now, I'm guessing, and I'm pretty familiar with the business, there are hundreds of things that a technician or a service advisor does every day, but four or five of them matter most. And if they're spending the majority of their time on the things that don't matter, they're wasting their time and their expertise. Mm. So managers are focused, but leaders create shared focus. And that was a message that I was adamant about pre-COVID. Now what I'm saying is, let's not assume what used to work still works. We know it does. Not all of it. Some of it does, but a lot of it doesn't. So the question is, how do I need to refocus myself as a leader and what my team does every day to achieve the results we desire now? post 2020, 2021. Yeah. Those, those five things that somebody might've said in 2017, they very well might not be the five things that someone would say now. Right. Well, I guarantee you wearing a mask wasn't uh, a consideration when we interacted at an automotive dealership or, you know, sanitizing the interior of the car wasn't even on someone's radar until Mm -hmm. they got, uh, you know, shocked by the the potential of, of COVID. Right. Right. So um, what's what's one simple thing that you would suggest to kind of to help, you know, because it, it seems like, you know, I imagine there there's can be so many competing priorities for many people. I mean, I, I see this in our own organization. And, um, you know, what's one what's one simple approach that you would suggest for kind of recalibrating this focus, um, not not just at the strategic level. I'm, I'm not talking about the strategic level for the organization. I mean, hopefully we've got that covered, right? What I'm talking more about is right. helping team members kind of recalibrate um, and and uh, refocus what what they need, where they need to be spending their energy, and and removing the obstacles that are preventing them from doing those those things. What I would suggest that a leader does is identify his or her 10 MVP list. That means most valuable and profitable activities. I did it over 30 years ago. I remember I did it sitting in a, in a city park near where I live so I could not be interrupted by distractions. And it took me a long time because, uh, you know, we do a lot of things every day. But I wanted to know what are the 10 things that if I did only those 10 things, and, and I'm going to get to the fact that we do more than those 10 things. But if I did only those 10 things, they would give me the biggest payback on my investment of time Mm. and and energy. Then the next step is even harder. Once you know what they are, you try to schedule 60 to 80% of every day to do them. Not 100% because you can't. You get phone calls, interruptions, distractions, crises, emergencies. (laughs) I'm still giving you 20 to 40% of every day to deal with the stuff you don't control. But even at at 60%, you appear laser focused because what you do is you have a strategy. And now these are the tactics. These are going from the concept to the concrete uh, concrete behaviors that you take every day. 
The third step, and I talk about this in my book, you don't need a title to be a leader, is to do that with your team so that you're focused, but now you create shared focus by sitting down with each team member and making sure they're all very clear on where their biggest return on investment is when they spend their time and their expertise. Mm. And, and it, you know, I just probably explained that in 90 seconds, but frankly, it's, it's one of the more powerful concepts over 35 years in this business that clients have used and gotten very, very positive results with. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in, in, in its simplicity, it's extremely powerful because it, you can explain it in 90 seconds, but doing it, that could take a day of, of just really being thoughtful about what are the most leveraged activities that we're doing, right? Where are we getting the most bang for our buck? Exactly. Well, um, big idea number four, you had alluded to a, a couple of times when you were talking about the research, you know, and just how, although respondents stated that leaders communicated, that was the thing they were highly, most highly rated on. They still were doing it pretty poorly, <laughs> you know, despite the fact that that's where they got the, the feedback is something that they were doing well. Um, and so you, you talked about, you know, this, this tendency to over-communicate. So big idea number four is sharpen important messages. So can you maybe clarify a little bit? Can you, can you sharpen that message for us? You know, not that you over-communicated it, but can you give us some really, you know, a good sharp, clear picture of, you know, how, how do we, how do we take things that do need to be communicated often, um, and, and really sharpen, sharpen those messages? One of the most famous speeches in the history of the United States was a Gettysburg Address, and it was 10 sentences and 272 words. Hmm. Lincoln was able to give a great speech in 10 sentences. Edward Everett, Senator Edward Everett, spoke for over two hours. No one even remembers what he said. <laughs> uh, I won't make it so simple as to simply say, what are your 10 sentences? But I would encourage you as a leader to say, what are those themes, ongoing themes that you really want to reinforce? And when people need information, provide it, but don't carpet bomb them with information thinking that they'll have the initiative to pick through the, the mess and figure out what's relevant to them. There are some people that when they send you an email, you just know you don't need to read it. There are other people when they send you an email, you would read it even if you didn't have to, because you know, it'll be good. It'll be helpful. It'll be mm -hmm. enlightening. And so you want to be in that latter group. And that means that you communicate better by communicating less. And the way you sharpen your message is the three C's. You got to be clear. Why am I bothering you with an email or a phone call? And the problem is a lot of leaders don't know. They just kind of think their way through the communication instead of beginning with a very clear concept of what is it that I'm trying to get across? Mm. What is it I'm trying to make happen? Number two, it needs to be compelling. And compelling means it's relevant to me. You know, and that's the problem with FYI is FYI usually isn't relevant uh, or compelling. It's just interesting. Oh, well, you know, maybe somewhere down the line, you'll need to know this. No, compelling means this affects you. And the third is, if you really want to sharpen your message, to the degree you can make it clever, keep in mind that Twitter and texting <laughs> has, has made us all need to learn the art of the concise message, right? And, you know, memes are viral because they're clever. And I don't mean silly. I mean, what can I do? How can I put a, a spin on my message so that it's clever? Because here's, here's the kind of, again, additional, and we, we can go deeper at another time, clever messages are more likely to be communicated on. In other mm. words, they're likely to become viral. And if it's an important message, you certainly would like to be able for people to both remember and pass on that message because it was clever. So clear, compelling, and 
clever are the three ways you can sharpen your messages. And that was pretty sharp. That was pretty sharp, Mark. <laughs> and concise. If, and no additional cost. We can throw in C. The fourth C is concise. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. Um, that the first one is clarity. You know, you know, I just, I think that's so helpful if you get a message and you know, like, this is what the message is about. Right. And so and then immediately you can, you know, the context. And I, I mean, I, I'm sure we've all experienced these emails that are, you know, there are a couple chapters of a book and you have to read two minutes before you, know, you even know what it's really about. That's just, yeah, that's not, that doesn't work. So thank you. Uh, that, I think I actually, you spawns a couple of ideas in my own mind of how I can improve my communication already. So thank you, Mark. All right. Um, big idea number five, which this I think is huge. Um, and, and, and this is an opportunity I think was created, as you mentioned, this was something we needed to be doing anyhow. And COVID just made it like, hey, no, this is just happening faster because we're forcing you to do it. But big idea number five is deepen relationships. So can you tell me, tell me more about this? Well, managers have power over people, but leaders have power with people. And the test of leadership is if you couldn't reward or punish someone, would they still do what needed to be done? And if the answer is yes, it's because they trust you and they have a relationship with you. And so often we become task focused to the expense of the relationship. I don't know. Uh, I'm guessing you had a similar experience. During COVID, I had hundreds of vendors that wanted to know how I was doing in PS. Could they sell me anything? <laughs> uh, these were people I didn't even remember clicking a link for. But suddenly I had a lot of people feigning interest in my health and well-being, but wanting to make sure that I brought, bought plenty of their product. First thing I did during COVID is I said to myself, who do I want to call personally or professionally? Who are the important people I really, really want to check in on? And that was, that was helpful. But I learned a lesson later during COVID that stuck with me. And that's the lesson of who called me. Because we, I think, had a, an unasked for relationship test during COVID. When people had limited time uh, or at least limited energy to reach out, who did they reach out to? And some of the people that, that called me were friends and, and professional colleagues. I wasn't at all surprised because I would have called them first if they hadn't called me first. But then there were some people that just didn't seem too interested and never reached out to me. And so after COVID or whatever we're calling this time we live in now, post major COVID, maybe we're in minor COVID, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that I remember thinking, you know what, this, there were a lot of clues. There were clues about who was important to me, but there were clues about who I was important to. And I think we need to, and this sounds so sterile, I don't mean it to, I think we need to do relationship audits. I, that's what I like about my iPhone or, or, or your Android. Just scroll through there and see who are the people you're out of touch with that you don't want to be. Who are the people you've made an effort to stay in touch with that haven't reciprocated? Because over time, it's pretty obvious they don't value the relationship the same way you do. Or who are the people you'd like to establish a relationship with? It's not going to happen overnight, but at least you can make some, some steps in that direction. Uh, because relationship ruled during COVID. It wasn't structure. It wasn't hierarchy. It wasn't control and command. It wasn't title or position. It was relationship. We did it for others, whether that was our customer, our colleague, our boss, our spouse, our kids. And, and I think that we need to, we say build relationships. You know, most of us have a lot of relationships, um, a very few deep relationships. As a friend of mine said a few years ago, I 
I'm too old. I don't need new friends. I just want to take care of the friends I already have. And I thought that's, that's less cynical than it is uh, insightful that he realizes that we mostly have acquaintances, right? We, mm-hmm. we talk about our friends, but colleagues that you really value you, and, and those relationships that are important, you need to consciously deepen those over time. Mm. All right. So um, that's a great reminder. Thank, thanks for sharing that, Mark. Um, big idea number six, grow yourself and grow your team. And those two, I can see the relationship here already. Can you, t- can you tell me more about this, please, Mark? Well, let's go back to what I said earlier. You got three resources, your time, your expertise, and the time and expertise of others. If those things stay the same, the only way you could increase output is by working longer hours or making others work longer hours or hiring more people to work longer hours. Most leaders don't understand the concept of capacity. Capacity is the ability to produce more in the same amount of time. And the only way that you can increase capacity is first through focus, but secondly, through improvement, skill and knowledge improvement. And so when you increase your skill set, you either add a new skill or improve an existing skill, you can now get more done and have greater impact without necessarily working more time. The 800-pound gorilla in the room of a skill that you didn't use as much, if at all, pre-COVID was the Zoom call, or as we (laughs) like to call them, virtual presentations. I actually quickly collaborated with three of my longtime colleagues, and we created something called the Virtual Presentations Institute and developed a Mm. course on not the soft skills of presenting, but the hard skills, lighting, three-point lighting, uh, sound, and just all of the mechanics that take you from being uh, an acceptable uh, virtual presenter to an effective virtual presenter. Because we knew that up until now, even though there were some resources out there, people hadn't thought much about it because they hadn't needed to do it much. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the two questions that I would post to your listeners today is, is number one, what is your learning agenda for the, for the coming year? Mm. Whenever you listen to this, if you don't have a learning agenda, you're not going to get better accidentally. Only wine gets better accidentally with time. <laughs> the rest of us have to work at it. And number two, what are you doing intentionally? Not just saying, you know, to your team and learning is important, do it if you can. What are you intentionally doing in terms of devoting time and resources to making sure that your team is also increasing their capacity? Because the only two ways to grow any business in the world, number one, grow yourself. Number two, grow your team. Mm, I love it. And in a way, this, um, this ties in with, the, with this big idea number seven. And just as a reminder, you know, we started off with the idea of the importance of taking care of yourself and how that lays the foundation for big idea number seven, be of greater service. So can you tell, tell me a little bit more about that, please, Mark? Well, servant leadership's come back into vogue um, more recently uh, than I can ever remember. And I've been in this space for many, many years. Servant leadership was based on the idea that Robert Greenleaf had in the late 50s, early 60s, that the greatest among you will be your servant. That's what Christ said, but he, he made it a little uh, less spiritual and more secular. And he basically said, leaders exist to serve others. I think the problem is that when it first came out, leaders confused service with servile. You know, uh, the person Mm. who checks you out of the grocery store provides you service. But if you called them your servant, they'd probably punch you in the throat. (laughs) You know, there's a difference between giving service and being servile. And what's important is when I get a phone call, and I often do, especially from younger people, either in college or right out, they say, can you teach me to to be a leader? And I say, I have some resources and some skills I can help you. But I got to ask you first, why do you want to lead? 
Because that's the million dollar question of leadership. And very often they'll say, uh, I want to make more money. I want to advance myself. I want to get a promotion. Uh, and th those are all good reasons. They're all legitimate reasons. But what I'm really listening for is when people go beyond themselves to the greater good. And they say, I want to be of larger service, make a, a bigger impact, make a, a better difference in my community. Because see, ambition is what we do for ourselves. And I got nothing against ambition. I'm sure I'm an ambitious person, or at least I have been for most of my life. But if it only benefits you, that's an act of ambition. Mm. It's when it benefits the greater good, your team, your organization, your family, your community, your country, that's leadership. And, and, and I always say the simplest definition for leadership is leaders make things better for others. Successful people make things better for themselves. Nothing wrong with that but leaders make things better for others. And so to be of greater service simply says, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was talking to a friend and there was a planet, I think it was Pluto maybe, that um, when they finally discovered it in the early 1920s, they started looking back on photographic plates from earlier and it was there all along. Why hadn't they discovered it? Answer, sounds silly, but nobody was looking for it. <laughs> you know, and it was there. It's just nobody noticed it. And I think services like that, when, when you go through life about what can I get, what can I accomplish? And you aren't looking for ways to be a greater service that aren't about you only or aren't about you at all. Then all of a sudden you see Pluto, you see a planet that's been there all along, an opportunity that's always existed. But now that you're looking for it, you have a chance to act on it. Mm. Oh, what a, what a great way to wrap up. Yeah. Just making that making that a new habit, right? Of just building this habit of well, how can I be of service here? How can I be of service here? You mean, you might not always find the answer in every situation, but if you can make that a habit, you might find your Pluto, <laughs> right? Indeed. All right, Mark, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here on business leadership today. I really, really appreciate it and always enjoy uh, communicating with you and catching up and learning from you. Well, the pleasure is mine. I love sharing ideas and I appreciate you. Well, um, for you, my friend, the listener, uh, if you'd like to, to learn more about Mark, you can find him extremely easily. He's very Googleable. He's one of the most searched uh, leadership speakers, I think, in the world. Uh, but just in case you need some help, uh, his website is marksanborn.com and that's Mark with a K. Um, and we'll also have a link to his website, his LinkedIn profile, on, and as well as show notes. All It's a, a summary of everything we talked about today on businessleadershiptoday.com. So until the next time I have an opportunity to interact with you, my friend, and hopefully be of help to you, um, I wish you great success building a world-class organization that makes a positive impact in the lives of your team members and in our world. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.